This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for December 1st, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com uh, main page. You, t- you just click on the red box. It'll take you to the donation pane where you can do a one-time recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Joined as always, my friend and co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, we had this is going to be a weird episode of the show just because of timing, what has happened, what is going to happen. So I just want to kind of get that out out to our listeners first for what this weekly update is going to be because it's going to be kind of a weird one, I would say. Yeah, we're going to be talking about this Cork and Hall show that will be done by the time this episode is released. And then we don't have, there's a triple shot this weekend that we don't have the cards for. So we're going to talk gate of origin real quick. Cause it was, you know, it was a show that existed and then we're going to preview this Cork and Hall show. And then, uh, my main man, iron Mike Spears doing the written review as I am too busy with work and school this week. Cause even at an art school, I do have some, uh, some sort of final projects. They're all fake. I've learned my education this past four years has been fake. It's been an interesting uh, experience, but I am too busy uh, this week. So Mike will be taking the written review. Typically when Mike does a written review, we have a match of the year contender. I think Mike always ends up reviewing really good Cork and Hall shows. <laughs> so look, get pumped. This could be excellent. Cause Mike Spears is going to be the one behind the keyboard and we'll talk, you know, about that Cork and Hall show, and then then we'll get out of here. You know, I am much like the 2011 Texas Rangers. I'm Mike Napoli off the bench. You know what Mike <laughs> Napoli did and for the 2010 and 2011 Texas Rangers, Case Low? What was that, Mike? He hit home runs in the playoffs. Mike Napoli just... That's just my era of baseball. I just liked the (laughs) league when there were Mike Napoli's roaming around. It's just, I, the nerds took over baseball. I just, the Dodgers won a World Series this year. I'm thrilled. I love that I can finally say one of my teams has won a championship in my lifetime. But just the nerds took all the fun out of baseball, Mike. I want to play a sport, not do a math equation. I mean, it's one of those things that the nerds are just going everywhere now. It's Revenge yeah, I mean, of the Nerds, and we know that's problematic. We should have been done with nerds getting revenge in the 80s. Now we're doing it in baseball, and I just want a horribly inefficient player to hit a bunch of ground balls and put the ball in play and hit, you know, into the shift. I The shift, and just I, if you just bunted, the shift would be over. If you just bunted out of the third baseline every time, we would be done with the shift, but I guess people don't want to do that. I, I just... I don't Mike Napoli got me all flustered, Mike. I wasn't prepared for that. I just, I want to like baseball again. I, I will let you know, Case, that for the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in the early 2010s, Mike Napoli got a lot of people flustered. <laughs> I, I, there was like, the, the there's a regional magazine in Dallas-Fort Worth called D Magazine, because of course there is. And there was a period where he was listed as one of the top eligible bachelors in Dallas-Fort Worth. 
That, I have never considered him to be a good-looking guy, but I guess that's because he was always wearing a mask. Uh, Mike Napoli, his backup in this era was Jared Saltalamachia. Is that correct? Uh, Jared Saltalamachia got traded partway through this era. Uh, Jared Saltalamachia was like one of the big Texas Rangers flameouts yes. that happened a lot. Because he ended There's up a... on the Tigers, which, you know, I, I grew up watching... There was, I mean, 2012, I was probably watching 130 Tigers games a year with my dad, and then I would parlay that into about 100 Dodgers games a year. Thank you, MLB Network and, and DirecTV Extra Innings. Sotsalamakia, the guy that got sent down to the minors because he couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher correctly. Right, yep. No, he was uh, He was supposed to be like this big-time prospect, and he had. he was a part of one of my favorite trades of all time. He was a part of the Mark Teixeira trade in 2007. He was supposed to be like the crown jewel of it, but he got the yips and couldn't return the ball to a pitcher, which is a big problem. And then he later got traded in 2010 to the Red Sox. So in yes. this time, he was already on the Red Sox. Traded for a bunch of just absolute ways. The Rangers were basically like, we're done with you. We're just, we're just over with this. And he got called up and started playing because I think he still is the current manager of the Devil Rays or the Rays. Uh, Kevin Cash got injured. So. Wow. Well, I mean, there's 2010 MLB for you. Yeah, yeah. there we go. But as much as I know Case and I could probably talk for about three hours about 2009 to 2012 Texas Rangers, I mean, <laughs> it, if something Schwab is still around, that's my category. It's either that or the 2013 Miami Hurricanes basketball team. It's one of those two. Real, real quick, who's who's the Rangers rotation at this point? It, Cliff Lee era Rangers. Who's starting? Uh, well, I mean, you got Cliff Lee, uh, C.J. Wilson got moved into Wilson. the lineup. Yeah, yeah, and then you had Derek Her- you had Derek Holland, who <laughs> <Yes>. was <laughs> my era of pitchers, horribly inefficient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Derek Holland, who got slapped on the mound by Ron Washington, <laughs> trying to get his act together. I mean, well, like that. Uh, Matt Harrison, I think, was the four at that time, and then this was before uh, you Darvish came aboard. I think the fifth might have. This was either like right before or he was injured. It might have been Colby Lewis. I think I, Colby, Colby, Lewis. Colby Lewis rings a bell. I, I think this was a little bit pre Darvish. Yeah, what Darvish a fun was twenty twelve. Okay, yeah. I those Texas Rangers teams were a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean how how could one oh no, Darvish was twenty eleven. So twenty ten Texas or twenty eleven Texas Rangers. So the the rotation. I just did it off the top of my head. Alright, so CJ Wilson was in 2011. Cliff Lee left and joined back with the uh, with the uh, Phillies. Uh, the the 2011 though rotation: CJ Wilson, Colby Lewis, Derek Holland, Matt Harrison, and Alexi Ogando. Mm. Mm. The, the the 2010 one just for our own edification. There's probably like six people who care about this. Uh, CJ Lewis, uh, CJ Wilson, Colby Lewis, Scott Feldman, yes, Tommy Hunter, Cliff Lee, and Rich Harden. Rich Harden was like their big signing that just never worked out that year. Tommy Hunter. Now that is a name that I have not I mean, heard in a very, very long time. Tommy Hunter is from Indianapolis and and built a bunch of baseball fields in Indiana. By all accounts, a pretty good dude. Uh, Tommy Hunter is with the Phillies right now, or was with the Phillies, and he's still pitching. I'm surprised. He's still pitching. Uh, he only had one start over 2020, but I mean... Pretty much soon after this, he he moved on to the Baltimore Orioles and then the Cubs, and then he kind of floated around before landing with the Phillies. Yeah, that's quite the career. Yep, and of course, that's it for our 2009-2010 era of Texas Rangers baseball that we're talking here, because you're not here for that. We are here this week, as Kay said. We're going to talk about the Gate of Origin 2020 from Sendai Sun Plaza, and then we're going to run down this Corkin preview. There's a couple of notes and some... I did a little bit of journalism because something was announced today that kind of piqued my interest, Case, that we'll get into towards the end here. But let's get into Gate of Origin. So it was on the 28th in, in Sendai and Miyagi, the Gate of Origin. This is traditionally one of their B-shows, and I think we could both agree this felt every bit like a B-show. It's not one of the big shows, and it's not like a monthly cork and Bose is kind of slotted in with memorial gate champion gate and like this just th- these shows are not the big ones but it's one of the ones that's important to stop along the way but it just kind of came came off the show like this was not one of their strongest shows but it was not intended to be but i feel like it 
kept things moving as we move into December and into Final Gate. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this show existed. I wrote a review. I watched the show. I watched most of the show live, and I, I watched matches one through five, and it flew by. I mean, it was great. Up through Skywalker versus Dragon Kid, it was just the easiest watch there had ever been, and then... I knew I, I just I I have watched enough Drangate to know the last two matches are going to be good, but they are not going to be good enough to warrant staying up through the night for and messing up my sleep schedule for the next day. So I was like, you know what? I, I've reached a natural conclusion. Let me watch the two matches when I wake up in the morning and we'll be done with it. And, you know, uh, we're a few days removed from this show and I am aware that it happened. Yeah, and it's something where the uh, the title matches weren't bad matches. It just was that this is not a show that's there to put on match of the year contenders. And it's a pleasant watch. I mean, if you like speed through it, it'll be up on the network until the fifth. You can get through the show probably in about two hours and twenty five minutes. Like it is a easy watch, but it's but it's not there to be a spreadsheet show. It's a show to be their big uh, Tohoku appearance for the year and. You know, and I have like good presence, and we still, I think, came away with like some interesting matches and interesting way forward. Like, this is not us dismissing or banning the show for what the show is. When you put it in context, it did great at being a Gate of Origin show. Uh, yeah, not a bad watch by any means. Nothing on this show was particularly torturous from the opener through the main event. Yep. So, getting into it, the attendance here 686. Uh, I know that, uh, Stardom were in there and was running the 500. So, I mean, Dragon Gate did better than Stardom here. But, I mean, this is really comparing houses in this era. Kind of is difficult here, but, I mean, one of the uh, larger shows, I mean, about the size that they would have in Corkin. They're getting into it. Opening match was Team Boku, the complete goon squad of Naruki Doi, Ryo Saito, Boku R, Shimizu, and Punch Tomonaga versus the unaffiliated team of Ultimo Dragon, Masato Yoshino, Shuji Kondo, and Gamma. Ultimo got the pin on Boku R Shimizu with the Lob Maestral Cradle, 11 minutes and 44 seconds. And my biggest takeaway in this, in this is I like the special COVID-era mask that Ultimo has. It looks awesome. That's my only thought about this match is that is his mask. Well, Ultimo has kind of nailed the COVID fashion trends because he not only has the new closed mouth mask, which looks really cool, but he also had the face mask with his logo on it as well. So yeah, Ultimo's killing the game, and this was a match where you have Yoshino, Kondo, Ultimo, and Doi, and you ended up with a lot of Gamma and Tamanaga interaction, so I think that tells you everything you need to know. Shimizu taking the pin yet again, a very uh, interesting time in his career. Yeah, it's something that I would really love to see, like, know what they're going to build towards with this because unless it's completely like down cycling for a guy who's still in his 20s there has to be something in the periphery for him right i i i don't know i think we're in the midst of a larger down cycle and i think this is kind of shimizu for a while yeah yeah no it did kind of feel like this uh my only like actual note other than a lot of punch and gamma and a lot of shenanigans was there was this moment where Kondo, who was basically not in this match, like this was a love minute match that basically seven minutes of it was gamma and punch Hamanaka. Like we're not exaggerating when we say like this is what we really got here. But it was Kondo and Doi in the ring. Kondo was revving up for the Lanzarse, and Doi did a victory roll over him as he was diving for the spear, which I thought was pretty rad. Like I was like, okay, the, like that was enough for me like to raise my eyebrow. But, I mean, this was, like, just, like, what it was. It was two and a quarter stars opener. It just kind of was there to have, like, a pleasant old-timers and comedy match. Match number two, on the other hand, Mike, would you like to speak on that? Uh, let me get to the pulpit and speak on this match, because this <laughs> match, oh, boy, th this match brought it. This match was the four-way tag team match. This is not an elimination match. This is just a four-way tag team match. It was the Moshifuchi team reuniting once again. Masaki Mochizuki and Don Fuji versus the Bensuke team of Sworn Brothers, Benke and Keisuke Akuda, the uh, Dragon Gate generation team of, of Yosuke San Maria and Problem Dragon, which which like raised my eyebrow when I was doing the previous. Like, Problem Dragon's a part of this match. This dude's taking a fall here. And then the uh, rookies, class of 2020, Madoka Kakuta and Takeda Kamai. 
uh, Takedo Kame is approaching his one-year anniversary. I think by the time we'll do our next show, or I think maybe two weeks from now, he will have crossed one-year anniversary, hit both him and SB Kento. The fall that was registered was Don Fuji for the first time in years on a televised show's Pinning Madoka Kakuta with a nice German suplex. He was so proud of it that you that Naruki Doi was on commentary and and Naruki Doi went, Oh, nice German. And then Don Fuji was so proud of himself and was gesturing how proud he was make of hitting the nice German. Just had himself a real day here. And I mean this match brought it. Like this match was as advertised. I mean, Mochi Fuji, whenever they're back, they're great. Bensuke and their moments were tremendous here. A lot of just kind of beating up on, on Problem Dragon and Yosuke San Maria, and then the rookie showed out. I mean, the, rook, the rookies did what they did great here. Yeah, this is a... This is like if you're building a Dragon Gate 101 DVD, I think you would want this match on there, because it does a few things. It was... It wasn't this epic match where you need context and a story to understand. I think you could throw this on and the the general wrestling fan would understand what's happening, but they would also understand that the style of this match, the pacing of it, the stiffness of it, the structure of the four-way tag itself is unique to Dragon Gate. And so you get the signature multi-man spots, the big multi-man suplex. They do some chops with Don Fuji. It was, you know, it had your, your really your Torimon feel to it. And then things kicked into high gear with Kakuta hitting the discus lariat on Maria, on Problem Dragon, going forward on Mochizuki and meeting, uh, getting met with a roundhouse kick to the arm, which we've seen Mochizuki and Susumu Yokosuka do for years now. But to have Madoka Kakuta already be in a position where he's doing that spot with the discus lariat and Mochizuki is is phenomenal. And then you have Don Fuji hitting that nice German. His post-match interactions, like Mike mentioned, were hilarious. I I went three and three quarters with this in my review. It, I probably should have gone four, because it really, it was really a great match when things were all said and done. Yeah, when this got going, this really got going. And you know what I mean? Like, this is a comp match, a comp DVD match, as you said, like, you, you got to have the shenanigans that are like Toriyaman shenanigans, like the multi-man suplex, a four-way, uh, a, a four-way headlock, just like things like this. Yeah, you had this moment where there was this overly long half crabs being done while Don Fuji was chasing Problem Dragon around the ring, like, like, like things like that. That was just like, oh yeah, no, this all makes sense. And then I, I love that in the finishing stretch that Madoka Kakuta now is in this part of his career where he's. He's experienced success with the Sisyphus Lariat, right? Like, I've called it the hand of God now for months because it just, it, it, it feels like this is going to be this guy's trademark move. And he's so early in his career. So, so what do you do when well, the first time you get something right and like, and like playing uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater case, with the first time you hit like one of the big special moves, what do you do immediately? Well, I fist pump. I'm not, I, I feel like I just gave you an incorrect answer, but I'm not sure what you're looking for. Oh, you spam the move nonstop. Oh, there because, we go. You know, and, and that's what Madoka Kakuta did. He's like, I have this discus lariat. It seems to be working for me. So I'm going to keep on doing it. And then Masaki Mochizuki going, nope, roundhouse kick. It's just like the other thing that how Dragon Gate treats their their rookies in a match like this. That it's like It makes total sense. Like Madoka Kakuta has been getting wins with the hand of God for the last month. So he has confidence in this. But then you have someone who's the wily veteran, like the most one of the most veteran people on on this show, other than Ultimo, just being like, I've seen kids do this long enough. You you ain't shit. You're not special. I'm just gonna kick this out of the way. And it's just like the, an interesting wrinkle here into a very really a really fun match that it was only 11 minutes and 14 seconds. If this match went longer and kept at this pace, it would have been a four star match for me. But as is, it was a very satisfying three and a half stars. I really hope we get Mochi Fuji versus uh, Kamei and Kakuta at Final Gate, a la the Mochi Fuji versus Ashida Yamamura match from Final Gate 2016, because we left that match thinking like, oh, 2017 is going to be the year for Kaito Ishida and Takahiro Yamamura, and it, you know, Ishida got hurt the next show, and then Yamamura briefly became the hottest thing in Dragon Gate. So I I obviously don't want either of these young guys to be injured. That would suck, but I do want them to ride that wave of momentum. Yeah, and like these are two kids that 
like you plug them into that match with a team like Mochi Fuji, and we're talking about a match that realistically could be topping out at four and a half stars, if not higher. Like these kids can go and in that kind of format, which would play to their strengths, it seems like as wrestlers and as characters with a team like Mochi Fuji would just be sublime. Oh, absolutely. And, and then we go into the Sendai Girls Pro Wrestling offer match. They do one of these each time that they run Sendai Sun Plaza. I believe, and I'm pretty certain that uh, Sendai's Girls helps out with local promotion. And of course, you're not going to run a town. You're not going to run a show and make a Sadamora's hometown without getting like her nod here and making sure that that, that she's getting taken care of here. Of course, Mako Sadamora is not around right now. So we had Jahira Hashimoto and Eureka Oka versus Dash Chisako and Manami with Dash Chisako getting the pin on Eureka Oka with a hormone uh, low down splash. Like I, I, I did not know this was called the home run splash. I was excited because she hit D'Lo Brown's move in this match and it looked awesome. This match was an absolute blast. Like I, I for 10 minutes and for how they usually do these matches, like I would like a lot more of this and less of doing like comedy matches with Stalker Chikawa. And that's me saying being probably one of Stalker Chikawa's biggest fans in the world. Like this is, if you're going to do like an offer match like this, take like 15 minutes and just like rock the house for 10 minutes. Cause this match, I, I really adored it. I thought this match was great. It was a really, really fun three-star match. I I had seen Hashimoto before. I was completely unfamiliar with the rest of the women, and I thought they killed it. I mean, it, it made me want to watch more of their work, which is the best thing you can do in an offer match like this. I thought all of the pairings they honed in on were really, really well done with uh, Dash on Oka and Hashimoto on Minami. I thought it all worked. It was just a, a cohesive match, and it's, it's the type of thing that Drangate doesn't do a lot of now, but in the early 2000s, you would see Torimon pop up on All Japan or Drangate pop up on K-Dojo, and even if, especially in the case of All Japan, the crowd did not care about it, you would leave that match going like, wow, that's a cohesive unit right there. Like, those guys know how to work together, and I felt the same way about the Sendai Girls match. Yeah, it was like a great touring match. Like, it, it did not feel out of place on the show. It did not feel like that it was abstract. It was like, okay, this was, like, a really, like, great time. I mean, like, I, I'm probably more familiar with, like, like Chihiro Hashimoto and Dash Chisako more than you. But, like, watching this match, I was like, all right. And, of course, they're in their hometown. Like, you would think that there would be some fans there, and that's part of the reason why they get Senjo to help out a bit because it brings in more people to a place where you're not used to running. But... They came off like they did not come off like as awkward as the All Japan Torimon offer matches felt like. Like the Torimon matches were all solid matches in the context, but the crowds did not get it. The crowd here, which probably is again bolstered by having Senjo fans here, was really receptive to it and, and really kind of made all four of these women come off like stars. I agree. And Dash Jisako was just like. Like, she was the star of this match, and I was kind of taking it back because you think it would be Hashimoto, right? Yeah, but Dash was the one that that really impressed me, just because she was in control for most of this match and was entirely compelling whenever she was in the ring. Yeah, yeah, and it was like a fun dynamic. Uh, Like, obviously, this is out of our depths here a little bit, but Chisako just kind of being like, just like, the veteran jerk, and then her tag team partner, Manami, just being loud and shouting a whole lot. Like, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that as a team. I was like, okay, that works for me. This is like, this was a good time for me. Like, I came away with this, like, a three-quarter star match. So I was like, you know, for an offer match, and you come on this show, and you you don't feel out of place, and you come off like stars, like, that's an unmitigated success and something that I'll look forward to each year when they come back to Sendai to have another Sendai Girls offer match. Absolutely. And then we get into match four. This was a six-man tag team match. Dragon Gate Generation versus R.E.D. A lot of former champions in this match, as you had the former Twin Gate champion team of Kota Minora and Jason Lee, along with Dragon Daya. So all three people who were pulled off of Kobe World were on this show here with Ultimo and Suji Kondo in opener and Jason Lee in this one. They teamed with Dragon Daya against the former Open the Dream Gate champion, Ada, the former Open the Brave Gate champion, Kaido Ishida, and Dio Inferno. Dio Inferno got the win because Dragon Dio was so pissed off and he started mass tearing. I called this my written review. I said, case okay, that what I really want to see is Dragon Dio to snap and 
that RED wins by DQ, and that's what happened. This rocked. I I think we both, about a month ago, were like, you know what, maybe wrap up Inferno. Maybe this isn't as good as we thought it might be. And and it looks like they're building a mask versus mask match at Final Gate. It's for as much as I love Dragon Diet, it's not a headlining match in a big building. Now, if they if they do that in Corkin, that would be one that'd be really cool, and two that would be uh, more than worthy of a Corkin main event. I don't see that happening though. So, I think we're gonna get the mask versus mask match at Final Gate, and I'm in. I loved the Kobe World match. I thought their chemistry was off the charts there, and for them to do it again here. It it let me know all I need to know. I am back in on Dia Inferno and on the Dragon Dia feud. And Inferno was showing a lot more chemistry with the RED team than he was showing previously, where it was very much like, it's time for Inferno to attack Dia. Like, this felt like a cohesive thing where I did not feel like that was the case with Inferno. And something that really was just another elongated angle, but I was like, hey, all right, Inferno and the person who's under Inferno's mask fits with this unit that even if assuming that we're all we're all on the same page here that die is going to take inferno's match and then whoever it is going to be is going to stick with red they work there and this is a team that like this these three guys that's a really strong future open the triangle gate team and i'd be down for it and i like the i like seeing the edge out of the sweet summer child dragon dia he does he he has not gotten mad before in dragon gate before and now he's just completely lost it we know that he does that he does not well, he he refused Mochizuki Dojo because he does not eat a lot and he likes to sleep. I think we're now seeing like a someone in their early 20s wilding out, and I'm here for Angry Dragon Dia. It was really well done. I mean, this came across as heated and intense, and I think if there was a proper crowd, the post-match with Dia continuing to go after Dia Inferno, I think that would have gotten a really big reaction. All, all of this worked. It's all... Really, it's really hot right now. I feel like this feud, again, maybe at the start of, or I guess mid-October, going into that Kobe World match, we were like, well, you know, we've seen what Diane Inferno can do, and it's it's fine, and maybe the match could come off at World. And I, I it looks like they're heading towards a crescendo, but if it finds out that we get another few months of this, like I'm, I'm not going to complain, because I, I think their chemistry has worked to a T so far. I'm just going to throw this out here as I'm looking this up on the show with the person who I assume it's his mask. Okay, it doesn't fit there. I was going to say, what if they made this into one of the main events at Champion Gate? It wouldn't surprise me. It, I mean, I think it would hurt the Champion Gate gimmick, but there are, are no major ramifications of that. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that, of course, you have like all the title matches and that's what should be happening with that, but... You know, I'd find that to be pretty interesting. Like, that's why the thing is, because it does feel like that we now have turned a certain corner and have changed and have turned the page in a bit that we were not having before this. And a lot of that's because Dragon Dia finally, like, showed emotion other than this guy's a jerk and he decided, no, screw you. I'm taking your mask. I, I, I'm tired of this. I want to see who you are under the mask here. And, you know, even probably even more effective than the match itself was the. They did a lot of brawling because these two guys like went at it for a solid three to five minutes where everyone was trying to peel everyone off. Uh, Red was trying to get in pot shots when they when it looked like that uh, Dio was tied up there and just was really effective stuff where they literally brawled to the back. Yeah, it felt natural. It felt heated. I I am so excited for the future of Dragon Dia. I really think this guy. I don't know if he can talk, but I know everything else he does. His physicality. He is so well rounded. And I think this could be a real launching pad for him, this feud. Yeah, yeah. The, like, And you know, like, the, the big thing for me was always he is the next dragon. He's the dragon that will be around after Ultimo and Dragon Kid left. And I had issues with him initially. Dragon Kid's not really known. He's known as being, like, a funny talker. He's known as kind of being, like, the annoying guy that, that like, Naruki Doi and Masato Yoshino's like, oh, God, Dragon Kid's here. But... It's not, I, I don't know, like, if his ceiling is really going to be the Dreamgate level for Daya that he's going to need to be as much of a talker. I think that he's someone that just because of how ridiculously skilled he is and his incredible athleticism that you don't necessarily need that out of him. And maybe it is that he's not going to be a future Dreamgate champion, but there's no reason for me to think that, like, off the back of this feud, he has his, 
he has his generational feud with Inferno that it's like, all right, now we're talking about in two to three years, I don't think it's unrealistic to think that this is a guy that could win King of Gate, maybe get a Dreamgate title shot outside of Kobe World, but he could be getting one at a big pay-per-view. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Speaking of the current Dreamgate champion, we have a special singles match. This is Shun Skywalker versus Dragon Kid. A little bit of backstory since returning at Kobe World and all the house shows. Shun Skywalker has stayed out of the war completely, has had a series of special singles matches against people lower on the card. Uh, I know that one of the people was Yosuke San Maria, Jimmy, and he would put them down in about five minutes with the SSW. Well, this time he had Dragon Kid. He defeated Dragon Kid with the SSW in 7 minutes and 52 seconds. And it's interesting what they're doing with Shun Skywalker. And it's an interesting way seeing one of these matches now live because it did not go the way I expected. Well, what were your, I, I know you have your interview and given your thoughts here, but was this the kind of match you were expecting play out? Because it was not that for me. Yeah, it actually was. It maybe wasn't the match I was hoping for. I was hoping for something... Uh, on the spreadsheet, and this was not that. But I kind of expected Shun to run right, right through him, and that's that's what happened. And I think it'll be a bigger story, and we'll know, or I guess the listeners will know by the time this episode comes out, what Shun does with Susumu Yokosuka at Cork and Hall. If he runs through Susumu like this, I think that's a bit of a bigger story. But Dragon Kid was the perfect sacrificial lamb in this spot. I, I liked the structure of this match a lot. It wasn't a great match, but I think it's what the match needed to be. Right, and that's how the show's mean to be. I was expecting this to be like an outright squash. Okay. I did not ex- I did not expect Dragon Kid to take the majority of the heat for like the first half of this match. It was a little strange to see Shun selling right off the bat. It's I, I think Dragon Kid is the perfect guy for the match they had. Had Shun done this in three minutes. I I would have liked it, but I, I understand why, look, it's Dragon Kid. Don't do that to Dragon Kid. He's, he's a legend, and he doesn't need to be squashed like that. So this is right in line with what I was thinking, but I also understand what you were expecting as well. And it's something that, as we get into the Cork and preview, this is the match where you say, like, oh, Michael, somehow when he comes pitch hits, he, he gets a match of the year contender. Shun versus Susumu Yokosuka, it definitely has the... Uh, it definitely has the possibility of ending up being excellent. Yeah, no, that's a that's a match that has dangerous potential to say the least. In this match, the one thing about Shun Skywalker versus Dragon Kid, there was a pretty scary moment in this match where uh, Dragon Kid went for I think a springboard Hurricanrana, and Skywalker caught him and popped him up into like a fireman's carry position. But when he, he caught him in the fireman's carry, he stumbled backwards and into the ropes and just about gave Dragon Kid like a shoot Death Valley driver to the floor. And they hung on and everything was fine. But watching live, I perked up. I was like, oh my god, that was that was almost really bad. But, you know, it's Skywalker. If somebody doesn't almost die, he's not doing his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looked like he was going, it looked like DK was going for the Ultra Rana. Like he was going at the Springboard Ultra Rana. He was going for the finish there. And, you know, I mean. Kind of surprising because Shun is a solid base that it he had that stumble there, but it's Shun Skywalker. If there isn't one moment where you're just like, uh, is this going to end up being bad? And it, of course, ends up being fine. Then it would be a Shun Skywalker match. And yeah. Yeah, if this was Yamato versus Dragon Kid, I don't even think I pointed out, but it is Shun. And I look, it's not a knock on him, but he does fly close to the sun. Yeah, it, it's one thing that I think draws you in because he is in a lot of ways, and it's kind of weird to say, he's a very human wrestler in a way that you do have like a thing that, especially in Dragon Gate, where everyone's so smooth and precise, even as a rookie, that Shun Skywalker always has that moment of, this can go very wrong, you're watching this through your hands and your face. And, you, you know, it's it, it's something that I think adds a lot to Shun Skywalker in a way. Oh, I, I love it. I think it's an asset. I I He's yet to bite the dust in a way that has scared me or ruined a big match, and I hope he continues that streak. Oh, for sure, for sure. And the SSW, the pump handle uh, blue thunderbomb is still... It, it, it's something that I think that like the big thing about these matches, they get over how much of a clear finish this move is. And, you know, Dragon Kid took it, and he just laid down for like five seconds after getting the bell rung there so they thought that it was pretty effective in that manner yeah firmly established finisher if anybody kicks out of that i would say even within the next year it'll be a big deal 
Yeah. Speaking about a firmly established finisher here, Case, as we get into the Open the Triangle Gate match where the champion team R.E.D. of Takashi Yoshida, Kazuma Sakamoto, and S.P. Kento faced the Toriyaman generation team of Susumi Akosuka, Ginki Horiguchi, and Yuzushi Kanda. S.P. Kento, another finisher getting really defined and really put over as this is the finish, this is the big move as he got the submission on Susumi Yokosuka for R.E.D. to make their second successful defense of the Open the Triangle Gate title. Get into it, Mike. This was not a great match, but we talked about last week. You know, if SBK would have submitted Genki Horiguchi, you know, good for him. It, it's it's no, newsworthy, but it's not that big of a deal. But if he submits Yokosuka, I mean, my God, there there are not many more guys in this company that are protected as much as one Masato Yoshino and two Susumi Yokosuka, and for him to submit them on back-to-back big shows like this, that is a huge deal. I mean, that is really, really a huge deal, and SP Kento as a character is firing on all cylinders right now. And it's just utter confidence. We talked about this at Kobe World. He is 20 years old. He is still a rookie for the next two weeks, and they have such confidence in this guy that they're willing to put him in the semi-main event and be the and be the star of the match against people on the other team that have a combined uh, ring. I, I mean, they debuted before he was born. Like, their experience is three times his age combined. And they believe in this kid. He is the rookie of the year. If you're voting for anyone else as a rookie of the year, your opinion is immediately disregarded because SB Kento, more so than probably anyone other than Utami Hayashishida, has had a rookie year for the ages. Oh, God. I mean, it's he's lacking the high point of Akiyama in 92 or Matt Riddle in 2016, where they were, you know, close to having match the year contenders. And I think SB Kento has been in legitimately great matches. He's on the spreadsheet, but is not quite at that level. But from a character perspective, I don't know if there's ever been a more confident rookie. And I said it when he debuted. I just, he projects big to me. He projects like he can fill an arena. And we know that he's not the best promo in the world, but also he's not an issue when it comes to promos like T-Hawk and Ata were for the longest time. And T-Hawk never, never figured it out. So, and T-Hawk never had the confidence this guy had. I mean, even in Wrestle 1, which look, I like that T-Hawk run a lot. T-Hawk was not projecting the way SBK is right now. He's a special talent. It's a lofty claim that he has a chance to be a generational talent. And I know we were saying that about Ben K for the longest time, then Ben K won. And we thought, well, this is our new generational ace. And that's obviously not been the case, but we'll see with SBK. I, I just, he's got everything. If he can bulk up a little bit more, and he's 20 years old, Mike, he's younger than me, okay? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Welcome to my life, bud. This is how I feel like whenever I watch college sports. Yeah, the, the first one that hit me was always Zion, because he, he's a year younger than me, and I just remember when he signed his shoe contract, I was at a point where I did not have money. I was like, oh, man, that... I I I would have I should have done that. I mean, he seems to have life figured out. Good for him. So SBK coming in and just wrecking shit. I mean, it's just awesome to see. It, it is so exciting to have a guy that again, you know, knock on wood, something doesn't go wrong. But this is a guy that's going to be in our lives for the next decade as a constantly interesting, morphing, and evolving character. And it's something that, like, at age twenty, he is still not done growing. He's still not done. Like, it's fine that he's where he is as a mic worker right now. And his character works as a mic worker. He's just not tremendous mic worker at the moment. But he has the ability to at age 20. I mean, God, what? I'm just thinking, like, where I was at age 20 and, like, how things drastically changed. Like, it's something that, like you said, the generational talent thing. And that's not a ridiculous claim because you look at this and you talk about Akiyama and his debut and Matt Riddle. They weren't immediately put into huge stake situations where they expected him to deliver. SP Kento has. SP Kento was in the semi-main event of Kobe World and tapped out Masato Yoshino, which we said on the on the show, the most protected guy in the 21 history of this wrestling genre. Between Toriyaman and between Dragon Gate, no one is more protected here. Now he gets Asumi Yokosuka. Now you now we're gonna like have a thing that 
when we look at future Triangle Gate matches, at least during this Hell Run, we're gonna have to consider if Naruki Doi's on the team, he's on the he is for he's on offer. Is Ultimo Dragon on offer at this point? Like that's like the one like 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 sacred thing that like I don't know if he has that, but basically everyone else in the promotion right now, yeah, he could tap you out here and I wouldn't bat an eye. It's really, really exciting. And and you made a point that I really don't think I had fully digested, which is that he was in the semi-main event of Kobe World. I mean, that's huge. That is huge. And he's delivering all these spots, and I, I just love to see it. Not not even from a victory lap perspective. I just love that this guy is is great. It's great to see. And when we get into Corkin, he's in the main event of Corkin. And he's not going to be the he's in the main event of Corkin not to take a fall. And when we get into the names there, ooh, there are some interesting ones that could be put in the SB shooter, and it will be interesting to see. I went two and three quarters on this match. Like this match, you had a lot of Takashi Yoshida. My, my opinion on Takashi Yoshida's ring work in 2020 is pretty well defined at this point. But when they had Kento and Susumu in the ring, and Kento and Horiguchi in the ring, and even the moments of Kanda, you know, what I mean. Like, it was really solid stuff, but this is not going to be a Triangle Gate team that I'm going to be like, hey, look at this team. They had just another notebook match. They had a match that it's not a bad two and three quarter stars. It's just this is what that match was, and if it filled its purpose. A lot like how the four-way tag match fulfilled its purpose. Like It did what it was supposed to do. This is not a two, a bad two and three quarter star match. Yeah, I was right at three. Inoffensive. Not great, but it got its, it's got its job accomplished. And then we get into the main event. This was the first defense for Hulk and Kai, the RED team, as they would defend it against the, the Dragon Gate Generation team of Yamato and KZ. Kai got the pin on KZ with immediate impact Kai in 25 minutes and 16 seconds. This was a first successful defense for the RED team. And heal Kai, case. Let's just take a moment and think about how delightful Kai is now in Dragon Gate. I look, I, I love it. And I am okay with the chemistry that he demonstrates with Hulk. I have my hangups with the story, but it's yeah, he's he's tremendous right now. And the chemistry that he has with Yamato, I, I think is really, really good. And I hope, I hope that Kai has a singles match left in him with Yamato, a proper blow off to the program that they're having. Because their chemistry is terrific, and this match was built off of Yamato and Kai having excellent chemistry, and then KZ kind of doing some never-say-die stuff at the end before finally getting hit by Kai's super finisher. This is... This match made the show worth it, because this was a great way to close uh, a pedestrian, average, kind of thumbs-in-the-middle show, and then you you close out with a great match, and it's hard for me to complain. Right, yeah, this is a... I went four flat on this. I think you went four flat as well, Case, right? Yes, that is correct. And, like, the thing about this match is, and you said this in the review, which I did not read until I watched the show. I, I do not like watch, seeing other people's reviews until I watch something because I think it colors my opinion of things. But you made a really great point about how this was a handicap match that basically you had KZ come in to take, like, a couple moments, and then, then we get back to Hulk and Kai versus Yamato. And that's what this match was. And it was really effective in a way. And then when they got fed up with dealing with KZ, they just straight up murdered the guy. That EVO on top of of uh, Kai after Kai got powerbombed someone that, that uh, KZ took was insane. Double first flash and then the Meteo Impact Kai. That is a scary move. Oh, God, I'm not taking that. Are you kidding me? There's so much that could go <laughs> wrong there. Kai, hit me with a roll-up, brother. Let me get out of the ring. I, I'm not doing that anytime soon. That looks awful to take. I, I, I guess, like, the one thing that I kind of came out of this match that makes me curious that I wanted to ask you is, what does this Hulk and Kai team do after the whole Yamato story is done? Because I don't know. I, like, I just kind of came away with, like, this match works because it has Yamato in it, and they're doing the two-on-one thing that we just talked about. But what happens when this team has to make a defense against, uh, let's just say, Yokosuka Chome? Just throwing a tag team out there. Like, like what is this? The, what is the rest of this ring going to look like when they get out of doing this now several-year-long Kai Yamato and BB Hulk storyline? Yeah, I, I that's that's tough to say. I, I you, you want to know what Kai and Hulk are going to do as a team? Yeah, yeah. Like, like let's say, all right, they finish off this feud, but Hulk and Kai, like, I don't think we're going to get a third Yamato and partner tag team match at Final Gate. 
what is this tag team champion? What are these tag team champions going to look like in these matches? Because I still don't know, and that's like a question to me going forward. Okay, yeah, I, I follow now. I'm sorry. I did not understand what you said the first time, but it's my fault. Yeah, that's. It, I mean, that's that's the great question because we we got into a pattern of Lee Minora title defenses, and we knew what those matches looked like, and you know, at least me, I looked forward to those matches. I don't know if Hulk and Kai are going to hit the high points. I, I'd be curious in a Hulk and Kai versus Ben K and Akuda match, because I think all four of those of those guys, even Hulk at his current state, I think all four can hit really hard. And I think that would be a match. If that got time on the right show, it would it would almost be like a sneaky great match where by the end we'd go like, oh, that was like four and a half stars. Like, what the hell did I just watch? And it, it, I think it could sneak up on people like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I think as long as Hulk and Kai are champions, I think we're going to see a lot of Yamato in the mix. So I, I, I don't know if we'll ever find out. Yeah, it's just one of those things that I was wondering at the match. And I was like, this match worked because they told a certain story that paid into the feud. What happens when you don't have that feud to play with? That was the question I really have. And, you know, it could be very much something that eventually Yamato finds the right partner and now he's Twin Gate champion. And then they have, like, some sort of blow-off. It's just something that kind of popped in my head that I was wondering what your take of it was yeah I I it's interesting that they did the KZ match first it seems like they would almost be building up to that with Yamato teaming with random Dragon Gate generation guys until he got to KZ so I, I don't have a good feel for where the twin gate goes from here maybe it is Hulk and Kai versus Mochi Fuji at final gate and you know the answer to that is those teams are going to hit each other really hard and I think that would be <laughs> fun so so we'll see it's I I'm uh, I, very neutral on the Hulk and Kai run because I, I want the Twin Gate belts away from them, but they've done a good job so far. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that I won't have like a full and green opinion about it until we see that. And I guess that's the thing that like Mochi Fuji now makes sense for Final Gate after winning that match, but we'll have to see. And that does it for our review of the Gate Origin. As I said earlier, it'll be up on the network till the 5th. It has full production, which is something that does not always happen on these shows. So, if you're someone who can't stand single cam shows, and if you're someone that likes having commentary, even though it's Japanese commentary, it'll be up there for the next few days there as well. But there's not that's not the only thing that's going to be on the network case, because by the time you have heard this, heard this, this show will have already happened. And it is the first Corkin of, of December. It is December 2nd, Fantastic 8. It will be on the air, of course, after you hear this, it will have been on the air at... 18.30 Japanese Standard Time. I taped English commentary, so we probably will have this out before English commentary gets posted. And, you, you know, looking at the show here, especially knowing that they're building both towards Final Gate and inevitably what's going to be the Doi Darts uh, scenario here, pretty interesting cork and show. Uh, what, what were your takes of the, on the show just just on the outside, like not getting the matches itself. I've only looked at the card once. I don't really know a ton about this card. I know I'm super into the three-way tag match, and I, I am excited just to see what comes of that. I think it's a really interesting pairing, and I think the main event could be a match of the year contender. Yeah, yeah, you have that. Uh, the opener, I mean, it'll be interesting given who's involved in it, how they play that opener, but interesting show interesting selection of people that are on the show and people who aren't on the show so going through the card the opener is a eight-man tag team match dragon gate generation team kz benkei yosuke samurai and strong machine j against the unaffiliated team of ultimo dragon kagatora gamma Takedo kamei madoka kakuta is not on this card case yeah i noticed that that's a bit of a bummer isn't it yeah yeah i just like look at this and I, I i am like the last person who's still waving the flag for Kenichiro Rai, who's on, who's in a match later on in the show, but you have him on the show and not Kakuta. They since they've come back, they've been very just deliberate about getting the rookies on the show here. And now we only have one of them. I guess the question here is: Does Maria take the fall from either Kamei or Ultimo or even Kagatora, who's building towards a, a Brave Gate challenge, or do we see? Gamma or Kamei take the fall, and I think that's up for debate. And it's a bunch of interesting names in the opener, so that that that'll be all right. Yeah, it, it's not the usual opener we've been seeing lately. I mean, we have been seeing Ultimo in the opener and Benkei and members of the Dragon Gate team, but this combination is completely fresh. And what's also incredibly fresh, except for one team, is the three-way tag match that you're talking about: Dragon Gate Generation of Yamato and the Brave Gate Champion Keisuke Okuda versus. 
a Masaki Mochizuki and Don Fuji. Mochi Fuji, let's see if they make it two live shows in a row, versus a very peculiar R.E.V. team of B.B. Hulk and Kazuma Sakamoto. It's, it's tough to... It's tough for me to find the route to a Mochi Fuji Twin Gate defense unless they pin Hulk directly, which they can do, but they're not going to pin Sakamoto because he is a Triangle Gate champion, and there's no there's no need to do that, and I don't know what pinning a Triangle Gate champion gets you in terms of the Twin Gate division. I have no feel for who's winning this. I think Mochi Fuji are the favorites, but... I mean Yamato and Akuda together, and I like that Hulk Sakamoto team. Are they? They're former Twin Gate champions, aren't they? Yeah, they they won the tournament and they held the belts up until Memorial Gate. That's and they you know had what that, that is one of the most underrated matches this year. That Ben K and Yamato versus Hulk and Sakamoto match from January fifteenth, the first Corkin of this year. That is on the Dragon Gate Network. If you have not seen it, that match. I mean, it feels like it was a lifetime ago. That match was incredible, though. That Twin Gate tournament was a lot of fun. So. This is match two, which means it's probably not going to get a ton of time, but this could be legitimately great. I mean, this is... I I love this. I love the sudden influx of the multi-man tag matches. Yeah, and it's something that this year has really missed. I mean, going back to that uh, decision match, that's still, looking at my uh, my watch list, still my number four ranked match of the year for Dragon Gate. I think it would be in my top five. Yeah, it was truly exceptional, and... I guess, like, the most likely finish, I guess, is unless we're going to have Yamato immediately step into another Twin Gate shot is have Mochi Fuji pin Hulk, right? Yeah, which is more than realistic. You know, it would it, it would make sense if it happened, and I would I would welcome if it did. And then we get into match three. Team Boku members, uh, Ryo Saito, Boku, Arshimizu, and Punch Tomonaga versus the Torimon team of Ginki Horiguchi, Azushi Kanda, Kanichiro, Orai. So, this will give us a real sense of how much Boku Arshimizu is getting cycled down if he takes the fall here, especially considering who is on that Torimon side. Yeah, I I don't like this match on paper. I think I like all of these guys individually, with the exception of maybe Kanda. And just, uh, this is sleazy. I I don't, I put this on Kyoshu Pro. I don't need this in my Drangate. And I, I could see Shimizu eating the pin from Horiguchi pretty easily here. Yeah, I guess, like, the obvious thing is he, he eats the backslide. But, I mean, him taking... Like, that's the interesting thing is, like, Shimizu's taking all these falls and matches with Punch Hominaga in it. And that's why it's such an interesting down cycle. Yeah, it's disappointing. I really thought we would see an upswing in him once he got the character change. But, I, you know, the other thing is, look, he's not in the generational warfare. That's the main focus. And... Uh, it would be a little bit weird if Boku R. Shimizu was challenging Shun Skywalker at the end of Final Gate, so I think it's an appropriate cycling down, but it's a dramatic one at that. Yep, and then we get to match four, speaking of Shun Skywalker, this is a special singles match. What's on paper, something that I mean can peak incredibly high, and given what's going on, this is going to be a long show if you're a first-time viewer for Dragon Gate. This will be a show that, because of what will happen after the main event, it's going to get some time. So, like, this match might go on with, like, an hour into the show, and we'll probably get, like, anywhere between 5 and 15 minutes, and you'll still have a lot in front of you. But looking out on paper, Shun Skywalker versus Susumi Yokosuka, it could be incredible if it's given time and if they work it the way that they could. Yeah, look, it's two guys that uh, have a thing where they typically don't have bad matches, and that is a pretty good instinct to have a pretty good skill to possess in the world of professional wrestling. So I have very, very high hopes for this. Now they had a match at dangerous gate last year. It was on the run of Skywalker singles matches that he was losing. I remember thinking it was, it was just all right. Let me see if I can pull up that review real quick to remember the star rating that I gave it because yeah, we were coming off of the uh, Shun Skywalker KZ match at Kobe World last year, which, you know, I think blew the backs of all of our heads off. We were just so stunned at how good that match was. And Skywalker versus Yokosuka is a big match on paper, so I gave it four stars. So I don't know what I'm talking about. So this should be excellent. That's all I need to say about it. And I'm trying to remember the last time I remember Susumi Yokosuka having an actively bad match. It doesn't happen, Mike. It does not happen. It certainly doesn't. Match five is... Dragon Gate versus R.E.D., this is going to undoubtedly further perpetuate the Daya versus Inferno feud. Former Twin Gate champions, Minonora and Leah with Daya, going up against the current 
Twin Gate Champion Kai, the current Triangle Gate Champion Takashi Yoshida, and Dai Inferno. This this should be interesting. Minora and Lee squaring off with Kai and Yoshida. That could go wrong. That's not a guaranteed pairing. But I, I think this is going to be another sub-10-minute match. I think it's just going to be Daya, Dragon Daya and Daya Inferno ripping at each other's mask once again. Is there any chance we get a clean finish here? I would... You'd have to give me very favorable odds for me to put a bet on getting a clean finish here. I think we're going to see a DQ one way or the other because of Daya and Inferno's feud. And I'm fine with that. That does not bother me. Yeah, especially seeing that it's further escalating things and it's not just wasting time. I, I'm totally fine with those two. Having more mass ripping and then maybe coming out of this, we'll get the final gate challenge that we're expecting. And I, I hope that's what happens because you've still got one another cork in to build to it. So you, you announce it here, you do another tease at the, the second cork in December, and then you're off to the races at final gate. Yeah, I guess like the only thing about the second cork in December will be if one of these guys is drawn into the Doi Darts match and the other one isn't. Which, that would be fascinating. If Daya Inferno ends up with that Doi Darts match, I think that would be a lot of fun. With, with, specifically without Daya. Imagine if somehow Daya and Inferno get put on the same team at Doi Darts. That's, oh, Doi Darts, what a great concept. It just works. It, it, it just gives us interesting possibilities. The main event, we have Toriumon versus R.E.D. Naruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, and Dragon Kid versus the R.E.D. team of Ada, Kaido Ishida, SB Kento, and Hyo. So two questions for you, Case. One, do you think that who do you think that uh, SB Kento will tap out one member of the other team, and which one would you like to see it to be? And two, Hio's been off shows since since Kobe World since he won the Battle Royal, where he has a wish to make. Do you think we might get the the wish coming out of the show? Well, first of all, I think SBK is tapping out Doi, and I I would put some money on that. He's done Yoshino. Dragon Kid just lost. If if SBK taps out Shuji Kondo, I'm going to lose my fucking mind next week. I'm not even going to be able to comprehend that. But I think Doi, he's, you know, he's Toriyama Generation, but he's also Team Boku now. So so he can tap out. And it would be, let me not undersell that, it would be a massive deal if that happens. And I, I just happen to think that's what's going to happen. As for Hyo... Uh, yeah, I could see it. I kind of forgot about that stipulation. That's I, I, I'm not bummed out that you reminded me, but I, it's uh stalling in my mind. Like, oh, I guess Hyo has some power. What is he gonna do with that? So, so I guess we'll figure that out there. I don't. I just judging from the names of that match, none of these guys hold titles, so I don't know exactly what he could do. So I, I I guess we'll figure some stuff out there. I think yes on SBK, and I'm honestly not sure on Hyo. What I do know is that Shuji Kondo, since he came back, has delivered in every big match. He's killed it in Cork and Hall main events, and he's with... Th- there's no dead weight in this match. I mean, even Hyo, there's no dead weight here. I think it's reasonable to suspect that this is a four and a quarter star or above match, and I would I would be disappointed if it's not. Yeah, no, this is something that, especially with, like, the foreman who's on the match, I mean, Hio can rise to the occasion. We've seen him do it before. Naruki Doi, even though he doesn't have a title belt, he is kind of, like, the other person in this equation outside of Ultimo that Kento getting the SP shooter and getting the fall off that, I mean, there's no one else for him, really, to tap out to, to make you kind of go, like, wow, okay, unless somehow he has a match with Ultimo Dragon and he taps him out. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So I, I'm just I'm pumped for this. Uh, this show snuck up on me just with life. I just I I you know had looked at this card once prior to coming on the air, and I typically have pretty coherent thoughts coming into a broadcast. But I I like this show, and it's you know it's a Mike Spears written review, so it should be excellent. And uh, we'll see how things go when I get the pencil back. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna try not to set the house on fire. <laughs> like I will I, I'll promise that that so far so. And then after that, we'll have the Doi Darts draw. It'll be interesting to see how they do this in a social distance area. I don't think you're going to have kids go in the ring. So I was wondering listener. about that. I, this, yeah. this is a, a waste of a human brain because I was taking a walk a few days ago and I randomly thought, like, I wonder how they're going to do Doi Darts this year. And then, uh, you know, a day later, I think it was announced. And I was like, well, I guess they're doing it. So, yeah, it's I, I, I don't. I don't know what they're going to do, because I. what's the alternative? Are they just going to have wrestlers throw out the dartboard? 
I mean, I guess maybe it's something where like they have someone bring the di- the dartboard into like the <laughs> so and- so so I thought about this of bringing the dartboard into the crowd. The problem is if someone misses, and then you're gonna get right, dart yeah. in the back of the neck. This. I, I will say this with the caveat, I know it sounds creepy, and I can't help it. It's not meant to. I apologize in advance. But maybe instead of kids this year, they have, like, the housewives come do doy darts. I think that would be very fun. Again, I know that sounded awful. I can't. It's it's just the idea. It's It's your fault. It's your brain that's thinking that. It's something where, I mean, like... A lot of those women would have been people that were teenagers when Toriumon started. So it'd be like, what if it's like some huge like Naruki toy fan doing that? And it's like, oh wow. Other than like meet and greets, like this is would be like a huge deal. So I, I I get how that comes off as creepy, but I feel like that it's something that's entirely like it, it, it's with good intentions. It's with good intentions. Like uh, most things I do, Mike, it's with good intentions, even if it doesn't seem like it. And, and, and just so that uh, new listeners and new fans to Dragon Gate are aware, Doi Darts is a yearly thing. What this will do is set up the main event for the second cork in December. Right now, there's only two months out of the year that Dragon Gate runs cork and more than once. It is December and January. And what this is is that they randomly select it. Like, this is not something where, like, they gimmick it to make it be like, oh, wow, all right, they knew what, what turnbuckle to look under for their cage enter order for... Uh, for a dangerous gate this is something that is booked entirely by darts and it's such like a weird magical thing and it's one of those things that it, it it's something that i'm going to watch this immediately and then when the english commentary comes up i am interested to see how jay and ho ho loon cover this i it's it's the best thing in wrestling and once a year it is just so much fun yep and this will decide the main event for the uh, go home for final gate so as we mentioned before at the top, y'all will hear this after the show comes out, is not, it's going to be a busy week. Uh, just looking at the schedule, again, we do not have any of the shows for the BB Hulk homecoming triple shot up in Sapporo. And then they come back and there's going to be a Kobe Sambo Hall show on the 8th. So with the exception of the 3rd and the 7th, it will be nonstop Dragon Gate shows every day up until the 8th. And then they'll take off some time for before they run Kyoto for their monthly shot there, and then the aforementioned second cork end of the month. Busy month, but all roads lead to Final Gate, and it's Ben K versus Skywalker, and I'm looking forward to it. And I just, you know, like I've said for most of the year, I'm really happy with the booking, I'm really happy with the end ring, and I'm going to be really happy when SBK makes that Team Boku geek Naruki Doi tap out in the main event of Cork and Hall. I I mean after that time I I feel like then then we're gonna get like the most annoying SBK call after that he's gonna be so proud of himself if he taps Kondo I literally don't know what I'm gonna do with myself and it's I don't I I can't even explain that because I in kayfabe Doi is obviously a much more protected roster member than Kondo but just the visual of that I just I'm gonna combust I don't know I don't know how to handle SBK just running roughshod through these literal legends of the industry. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a while. Um, there's, that's pretty much it for this edition of Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next week. We'll figure out a way to cover as many of these shows as possible for by the time we record, but probably, you know, it's going to be a lot of shows. It's five shows, and the Sapporo shows back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. That'll be interesting. Those Sapporo triple shots, sometimes you could tell when someone's like, all right, this isn't my big match of the week, and I'm going to take it off here, but... According to who gets up there, we might get some pretty spicy matches coming out of it. Yeah, we're not going to break down those shows match by match. We're going to hit the highlights on those. Yep, yep. And one last thing before we get out of here, just something that kind of raised my eyebrow, and I do a little bit of doing a journalism, doing some investigative work here. They released their February schedule, and they usually do schedules one or two months out, and pretty noticeably, first time since they've been touring that they are not doing a show at... Kobe Sambo Hall that is their traditional kind of hometown show each month that is kind of like every month they'll have that talk to someone within the company it does seem like the reason for that is that Kobe Sambo Hall is booked there no one else really runs Kobe Sambo Hall unless Dragon Gate's helping out like Michinoku Pro ran it but it was had a lot of Dragon Gate guys on there they're booked in this other arena that's going to be much bigger and that's why I was kind of interested in this because 
with COVID restrictions and who knows what the COVID restrictions are going to be like in February. This venue is approximately three times the size of Kobe Sambo Hall. It's, it's Tokyo Arena, but it's just, there's not much to really read into it. I had to go and seek this out because it would drive me insane case, but it just seems like just a part of the schedule and not something more really to kind of look into. But case, before we get out of here, do you have any other big thoughts? No, that's it. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of Open the Voice Gate. Again, we'll be back next week. There's five shows. I I can guarantee that Corkin will get into the the Hokkaido Triple Shot and Kobe Sumo Hall will hit the high points. But thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case and me at Fujiheya. So for Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time on Open the Voice Gate. Take care.